0: Welcome to Park Media. I am your host, Vincent Emanuele, today, and we are joined once again by our friend, Sarah Johnson, who's one of the head organizers with Organized and United Residents of Michigan City. She's also a member of Democratic Socialists of America, and she is here today to talk about a local tenants' rights, tenants' union campaign uh, that RMC has embarked on over the last few months. So welcome to the program again.
1: Thank you for having me again. Yeah,
0: it's good to have you. Um let's start off by sort of recapping the last 9 months but we'll do it shortly. So after Bernie's loss on Super Tuesday, the pandemic hit, organizing efforts and plans for the rest of 2020 were put on hold. Um our group RMC immediately jumped into mutual aid efforts, uh distributing goods to those in need. Uh but can you talk about some of the limitations of mutual aid efforts? I feel like this might be a good chance to discuss the difference between advocacy and organizing.
1: Yeah. So yeah, we were definitely knee deep in the Bernie campaign when the, the pandemic hit. Um, and I was, I was going back through stuff cause I feel like this past like 10 months has happened so fast and also slow at the same time. Um, but I, I was looking at, you know, we on the same day, which was March 17th launched, um, both a campaign like a call in campaign to our city officials. Um, the mayor, the city council, uh, to make changes at the city level, um, policies, uh, you know, pushing demands for them to actually respond to what was happening. Um, because up until then there had been nothing coming from the city. Um, and then we also launched a mutual aid. Uh, program at the same time. Uh, we knew that, you know, there were programs in the city that were, uh, providing food and stuff like that. And there had, there had been before the pandemic. Um, but there was nothing out there that was providing like pads, tampons. Uh, we already knew like members in our group were out of work already, um, that worked in restaurants and, you know, we knew that this wasn't going to be going away in a few weeks. So, uh, we, we kind of, did those things at the same time with the hopes of getting some like larger citywide change, um, that would respond to some of these issues and then also doing some of that ourselves. So yeah, we did that. We had a lot of people, um, coming in to help volunteer, you know, risking dropping items off at other people's houses in the city and then people who you know needed help with getting their medication delivered, um, needed help with getting diapers, you know, high risk can't go out um so we did that for a couple of months and i think you know like all things or not all things but a lot of things that we've (laughs) attempted in the past have found that there are huge limitations to um you know i don't even know that i would call the mutual aid advocacy as much as sort of direct service provision and um i mean i think that converge on advocacy um but the limitations of doing that and it not actually leading to any type of like concrete change. So yes, you know, people were supporting each other, getting tampons, but the city still wasn't even having city council meetings or responding to, you know, the, the now mass unemployment, uh, and the increasing numbers of COVID every day. And we're a tourist, um, with people coming in all the time from, from out of state. Um, so, Yeah, I I think we we realized pretty quickly we were like, Well, we need to do something. Like everything else that we were doing (laughs) stopped. So we're like, we need to do something. Um and so yeah, we we started along
0: along that road. And it was a I mean, it was also an opportunity just to kind of keep people in the group who had been active doing something other than sitting at home in complete terror, like everybody was for the first month or two, like trying to figure out what in the hell this looked like and trying to keep everybody together. I do think in in that way it was probably useful to do something like that um yeah totally and um i I think
1: talking like being able to still talk to people and connect to people in the community because we weren't having these like events anymore we weren't um you know before pre-pandemic i was in the beginning stages of a single issue campaign on public transportation well public transportation was totally stopped um, and you know, when we were making these phone calls from mutual aid, we were talking to residents about the other issues they were having. And then they were also calling the city about, um, you know, the demands that we had about, like, not, not evicting people, um, providing, uh, providing like direct, uh, services that people need, helping make those connections and doing, doing that type of thing. Um, so. Yeah, were our, you sur- our, that was kind of our theory of change. With that, <laughs> were
0: you surprised with the response from local officials?
1: Yeah, uh, we we had conversations as this was initially happening about you know we didn't expect we didn't expect a progressive response, but I think uh, I guess I can speak for myself. I did not expect no response, and you know we were in the situation where when we started calling city officials to be like, Hey, what's going on? Like, what are the kind of the plans here? You know, we're looking at these numbers. It's not looking good. And they hadn't even talked to each other. Um, they were not in communication. They weren't even having meetings. I think they went five weeks without having like a a city council meeting. Um, and uh, having those conversations and then continuing, you know, it was like the mayor for example, was like, I'm going to respond to these demands. Like, I'm going to figure this stuff out. I also care about these issues. And then just like stopped communicating, stopped answering the phone. Um, And there was just, you know, nothing. So it it was, it was surprising. I guess looking back, I shouldn't be surprised. But um, I think it really illustrated the complete lack of ability to respond when something like this happens, let alone everyday other things that are going on outside of a
0: pandemic. <laughs> right, right. No, it is it is frightening. And I'm assuming other people who are going to watch and listen uh, have probably had a similar experience. I mean, I can only imagine how many towns and cities and counties just kind of gave up in the first couple months of the pandemic and provided no leadership, which wasn't that much different than the national situation. So yeah, by the end of true. May, we we're in the midst of this pandemic. We've been doing mutual aid, uh, then George Floyd is murdered in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and we see this explosion of uprisings throughout the U.S., uh, especially, I think this is now, we're talking the end of May. Uh, and then sort of RMC in the midst of that, I mean, in a, the city that we live in, people have heard me talk about the sort of, you know, socio-political, economic landscape of Michigan City, so we don't have to get into that too much. But for people who might not have heard me talk about that in the past, you know, you're talking... Almost one third of the city's black, a lot of poverty in the city, according to the United Way, it's like 53 or 54% of people in MC who can't even make ends meet. Um, So that's the context, though, we found ourselves in a position where we were like, well, no one else is hosting an event. So So we did kind of question like, does it make sense to have a solidarity event? you can kind of take it from there what what rmc was thinking as these uprisings were taking place throughout the u.s and then what that looked like in michigan city
1: yeah um up until that moment we were really uh, sticking to not being with each other we were not going um outside except for in our own backyards if we have them um and that was the first time that we were like okay so given what's happening um in minneapolis and then also we started to see that there were solidarity rallies happening all over the country um in the the couple of days that followed um and you know we were looking at science like we were consistently listening to like dr osterholm sorry, it always randomly mutes me, Um, Dr. Osterholm and finding out that like, okay, so it's safer to be outside, but distance and kind of looking at what those, um, what those situations are and what's safe or not. Um, And yeah, started to plan a solidarity reality here in Michigan City, uh, which turned out way bigger than we expected it to. Um, You know, I, I had expected to have maybe 200, 300 people show up I don't know exact numbers we had between, you know, 700 and 1200 somewhere in there at different times during the day, um, participating in that. And, um, you know, I, I think it was kind of a mix of, of having something that was showing solidarity, having something that people could get out and do that actually matters. Um, that's not just like hanging out, uh, in the middle of a pandemic, um, and also seeing if it is an opportunity to identify some people who come to the rally, who bring people with them, um, and trying to identify some of those, like a Mac Levy would call uh, organic leaders or people who have, uh, some respect amongst other people in the community that aren't in these positions of power or, you know, authority, um, and try to talk to them about what's going on and see if we can kind of come together to develop some, some strategy around what to do in the city to get some things rolling um, in whatever area that is. Um, which that didn't really work either, despite best efforts. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, I was going to say, I mean, part of the issue and part of what we've talked about on this program in the past, something we're going to, I think, talk about more because it doesn't take place in a vacuum is that there are not too many uh, organized black political organizations, progressive black political organizations uh, in the country. Number one. number two, there's ver- there's absolutely not one in Michigan City. So, may- I don't know if you want to speak to that, but I know sometimes when we're speaking with people about the political situation where we live, you know, people often ask sort of, oh, is there a Black Lives Matter chapter? Are there active, progressive black churches? Are there black city councilmen who are progressive? Um, I know the answers to all those questions, but I'm wondering if you, if you could kind of go through kind of what the landscape is and here in Michigan City.
1: Yeah, no, there's there's not and there's I mean there's really not much of organized anything in in the city. Um, I mean, really if you expand that out to the region and the state, there's not uh, there's not really any places to call on for like a mobilization to be like, Hey, these are the issues. You know, we did reach out to uh local pastors. We reached out to um, local groups that we've worked with before um, to both invite them and to speak um, at this event. Um, and, you know, there's just, there's not that many people, the list was short of like who could we reach out to uh,
0: sure.
1: to, to come to this. And I think that's, you know, one of the, the, not when we realized, but it reinforced this idea that, like, unless we actually have, uh, like, bases of people that could be called on to be mobilized in these moments, um, what, like, what do you expect to happen from them? If that, I don't know if that makes sense, if I'm being clear.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it's sort of the same conversation I had a, with a friend last night. We were talking about the George Floyd protests, and he had said, You know, he was like, hey, I remember talking with you at the beginning of the summer and you had told me that at some point these were going to die down because there's just nobody to keep them going. And I mean, that's it's the same thing here. I mean, if you don't have an existing, as you said, base of people who are organized and accountable to an organization or an institution and they collectively work together all the time. Just asking individuals to get off the couch and come out to an event is a whole different thing. And you definitely can't sustain it or then come up with, like you said, strategies and ideas for what we might want to achieve and build off of that. If you're just dealing with individuals, you know, not groups of people who are actually organized. What, are your, what was your sense? We had a thousand people. I would say, yeah, around a thousand people, like you said, show up. I thought it was pretty good for a city of 30,000 people. I mean, it was quite significant. I mean, as you said, most of us were surprised. What did you make of kind of the aftermath of that? The, the rally went pretty, I mean, relatively well. I mean, there was like a smaller group that kind of broke off and did some other stuff at the shopping mall, which was minor, just a couple broken windows, stuff like that. But I'm kind of wondering what you thought in the aftermath and then how it played out nationwide, kind of what your thinking was, because RMC did make a choice to like not follow this particular thread any further after a couple weeks of, you know, watching the the uprisings and so on.
1: Yeah. Um, so initially afterwards, we were, like I said, trying to do one-on-one conversations with, with people who had showed up that like at it, we were going up to them and being like, Hey, like I'm Sarah, like, I see, you know, you're out here. You're like kind of leading a lot of the things that are going on. Like, let's talk about what's happening here. Um, and, there was no interest in like sus- sustained effort so it was like this explosion <laughs> and then trying to move that in like uh, i don't know a more productive strategic direction just was like not it was not in the cards um and you know i i am probably off at this point in terms of like what all is happening in the cities where uh there were bigger longer actions uh, my understanding is that largely uh, most of it's fizzled out, and the places where there were initial kind of concessions made have kind of got, got, turned back and gone in the other direction. Um, and uh, you know, one of the things too here was that there were a lot of conversations at the time about like, well, okay, so what do you, what is, what would this get replaced with? Like, what, what is actually like a vision for what we would do here? And in the midst of this, we're having issues, like people are getting evicted um, in the middle of a pandemic. People still aren't working. Like, there are all of these other things happening um, while this is happening. And yeah, I mean, to just talking to people and being like, well, where, where could there be, like, uh, I don't know, how would you put it? Like, having a, getting a base actually built of people who are dedicated and serious to kind of moving things forward. And I think at the time we were pretty open in terms of like what that might look like. Um, and it just, that did not, it, it didn't, it, there wasn't any traction on it, I guess. Right. Would maybe be the way to put it.
0: Right. Yeah. And we saw, I mean, the support fell off significantly after the first few weeks, uh, which I think was predictable. If you don't have clear demands and a vision for where you want to go, there's only so many people who are going to be down with watching cities burn. And it's quite something. I mean, I'll just, this is an aside, but If you look back at the opinion polls, like a week after the uprisings in Minneapolis, the you know, it had 54, 55 percent, some polls showed in the 60s, uh, people in the United States who thought it was justified. It was like less than a month and a half later, it was down in the 20s and 30s, you know, people had just got burnt out with the street skirmishes and the riots and all this stuff. Um, and I think that played yeah. out in the election too. I mean, we saw that I and mean, we saw a lot of, people no, even.
1: absolutely. Well, the polls totally changed on that. Right. And locally, um, I think one big thing was that our police department actually didn't, uh, didn't handle the rally or even the, what happened at, um, the, the outlet mall afterwards. Uh, you know, the police chief was out in the middle of the crowd talking to people, um, and that's what largely was put in the newspapers and a lot of people in the city were like hey uh that's actually the right thing that the the police chief should have done in that moment so yeah. um you know it was it was just very interesting right these things are not like black or white it's not like it's either this or it's this right most things are somewhere in the middle and it, it's all very complex um, and so yeah i thought i thought that was really interesting and what things could have turned into um If it was a different, you know, if different tactics were taken by the police that day.
0: No, that's a great point. I haven't thought much about that. In other words, if the police would have really cracked down at the shopping mall, how would the community have reacted? How would the people there have reacted? No, that's it. That's a good point. So sometime before the protest, RMC had already sort of got a petition going to help out renters from the beginning. As you mentioned, we knew that the pandemic was going to ravage renters after seeing what happened With the George Floyd protests, kind of, you know, without a Black Lives Matter chapter here and without the Black Lives Matter chapters in the region, really, which there's only one, uh, really like providing a sort of framework for what we could work on or a kind of coalition or a vision that could bring people together throughout the city. There was sort of a decision that was made, not quite organizing the campaign yet, but there was like this movement in the direction of maybe we should focus on a tenant's rights or a tenant's union campaign. So why don't you kind of bring us up to wh- where we were at that moment?
1: Right. Um, so, yeah, moving between March to May uh, and and trying to focus on getting our local officials to do stuff, we realized that, like, really what we need is a statewide response of, of organized people uh, to actually get the state to shift what it was doing. Because in a lot of ways, like, these were state responses that, well, really national responses, but it kept like the ball rolled from the, the national level to the state level, to the local level, to like businesses, and then down to individuals uh, to make these decisions. Um, and so we were, we got connected in with an organization in Southern Indiana called Hoosier Action, which in, you know, early mid May um, was trying to coordinate a more statewide effort of like kind of existing um, organizations uh more progressive organizations to sort of do a coordinated petition mobilization advocacy response to um our state basically doing nothing um you know I, I, for people in other states if they listen to this indiana consistently was like well we have an eviction moratorium but it ends you know at the end of the month and then they would wait till the day off to be like okay we're extending it another month and so there was this it it really difficult to um have like a response to it because it was constantly changing all the time um so we were looking at okay well let's get connected in with something that's attempting to be statewide and they were really focusing in on this eviction moratorium, which of course, like we knew that that's a problem locally because we're talking to people. Um, uh, and we started doing a local petition that would focus on our county officials who actually have the ability to not move forward with holding um, court for eviction cases um so right along the way there are different like people from the clerk to the sheriff to the judge who are deciding whether or not they're like actually listening to these whether they're acting on them um and you know all all of those things so we were, we were trying to push the county in that situation um and yeah i mean right a petition's very limiting we we mailed it off to them um this was like at the same time that. Um, well, no, this was right before, sorry, I get mixed up with the timeline. This was right before, um, the George Floyd was murdered. And so, you know, we were doing this petition and then we had the solidarity rally. And it was after that, that we decided to kind of have like a a protest at the courthouse, um, and looking more like moving from sort of this advocacy call in campaign to like, okay, well, let's actually get out there. Um, and do something, like, at the courthouse where these people are at. Um, except they weren't because we're in the pandemic and people were, like, <laughs> working from home.
0: <laughs> now, so, so we have these sort of ups and downs of the summer as well. And, I mean, it's good to go back through this history because it even reminds me just how unclear and confusing everything was. I mean, we, you know, there were the, the first lockdowns, then it was summer, some people thought. And I can't blame them because the news media was running stories that maybe the virus was going to die off in the summer. Maybe the warm weather was going to kill it or not allow it to spread as fast. Of course, after Memorial Day, after 4th of July, we saw the numbers really spike. And then we saw the same thing after Labor Day. But we kind of knew in the summer, it was like ups and downs, people scared, people not really wanting to go out. Then the people who were going out were just trying to like, hang out in the backyard or see their family or friends that they hadn't seen in several months and then around this time there's the decision has made that rmc wants to focus on an official and now what would you call it sarah would you call it a tenant's rights campaign or a tenant's union campaign and what are the what would be the difference between those two
1: yeah, I I think so. When we started looking at it, we were looking at generally like housing overall and the fact that there was going to be this huge eviction crisis in, I mean, all over the place, but um, also in Laporte County. You know, Michigan City, fifty percent of um, residents rent. So we knew that this was going to be a huge issue. And uh, I would say initially with this petition, with trying to do like a protest at the courthouse against, um, you know the upcoming eviction wave, um, we were looking at more of a, I don't know, like a housing housing campaign um, versus an actual like forming tenant unions um, and organizing tenants into those unions. Um, So the difference between like advocating on behalf of other tenants or even mobilizing tenants to come do something like a, a protest at the courthouse um, and, uh, yeah, we, we decided we needed, like, it wasn't going to cut it to just like call a protest. I mean, right. It's you're, you're calling from the same base of people that you've been calling from before. Right. Um, and which at, is, a, at the end of,
0: can I just jump in Sarah? That's a really important point. So in other words, there's a lot of people out there. I came up with that kind of an understanding, you know, during the anti-war movement, that the thought was, okay, people feel this way. And it might be true. It might be that 70% of people in Michigan City really are pissed at their landlords. But that doesn't mean that if you just hold a rally or share it online or even pass out, you know, a flyer to everyone's home, that they're going to show up to that. And you might want to just mention why that is. I know that we're going to keep repeating things like if you don't have a base of supporters, maybe we even might want to define kind of what that is people so i'm sorry to like backtrack but it might even be helpful to do that
1: No, oh. yeah so i guess what i'm what i'm referring to is um so you're calling okay so just because people are like pissed upset unruly suffering even willing to like i don't know go set a dumpster on fire or go get out in the streets and like scream at uh police or scream at each other whatever that doesn't lead to like any type of political change um and uh, we've, we've taken a lot from jane bachelieve um at looking at like okay so she's she's a union organizer and huge on structure-based organizing so that you're actually winning not just um like yelling out into the the ether and and really talking to the choir so like when you put out a call to go protest at the, at the courthouse, um, first off, who's even hearing that that's happening? And second, if the, if, if you're a tenant, you're not connected in with any of these efforts already and you're hearing about a protest at the courthouse, like, why would you go? Uh, what do like, what do you think is going to happen? What are the ends? Uh, and people aren't going to get involved just to go protest. Like they actually want to see changes happen. Um, and, you know, I, I haven't lived in big cities, so I don't know, like, if it works better in, in big cities. I, I doubt it. Um, but I know that here, like, actually building relationships with people, having, like, long, difficult conversations with them, finding out the things that they actually care about, because not everybody is like, well, people might not like their housing situation, but that doesn't mean that they're like, well, yeah, but that doesn't mean that I, like, shouldn't pay rent. Or even that if I don't pay rent, like we're in the state of Indiana, you're not going to get anywhere except um, on the street because, you know, they're going to evict you and the judge is going to go along with it. Um, I don't
0: know. Which is really, which is really important because the other call that we saw from sort of the online left or the people who are just, I don't know what groups they work with, if they work with any groups. But another immediate call was rent strike everybody's just going to go on a rent strike. So what does that look like in real life? Not that we've successfully organized a rent strike on a massive scale, but then again, there's not too many people who have in recent memory. (laughs) So, but what, what conceptually, how do you think about that? And then how does that sound to someone who's an organizer on the ground in a place like this, when you see somebody simply call for a rent strike and you kind of alluded to it, But what are the real world consequences that people face in a state like Indiana? Trifecta Republican-controlled regressive laws downstate, no legal infrastructure or political infrastructure to support efforts like that.
1: Uh, It's stupid and dangerous (laughs) to start with. (laughs) I
0: mean, be honest. That's
1: when when I when I started hearing that. I that's when I really started digging deeper into. Like so who's actually doing tenant organizing around the country and like what are best practices um and and what are they recommending that people do because uh call, making a, a general call to do a rent strike on may 1st is like i don't know i laugh. I'm like, generally that's going to be a call that only again self-selected activists are going to see And there is no, like, you're not going to win any type of, uh, anything against a landlord by one person doing a rent strike. And in order to have a collective rent strike it involves actually organizing other people in your building, uh, talking to them, doing one-on-ones actually tracking who is doing what so that, you know, like, okay, if we're going to rent strike, what percentage of people do we have? And are they going to actually do it? Because it's a matter of, having somewhere to live or being pushed out onto the street. And I think that, I think it's, um, a, a more like visionary thing. Like, well, wouldn't it be great if everybody in the country rent wrench struck, rent yeah. striked, um, without looking at what does it take to actually get there? And it's not, it's not just a call to action across the country, which we saw, I mean, right where I don't know that that happened anywhere, um, that anybody just like,
0: you know, stood up and they're like, "I'm gonna rent strike." Yeah, yeah, no, it's a, I mean, same as the union strikes. I mean, it. they don't just happen? Um, no. Yeah, we we used to. You you'll find this funny knowing what you know now and the kind of experience that that you you're you know picking up. But we had people during Occupy call for general strikes of cities. <laughs> it's like it's maybe like. 5,000 or 10,000 people in downtown Boston, Massachusetts. And I remember they like invited Noam Chomsky there to give a talk. And he was like, this guy was like, what do you think about a rent strike? And Noam Chomsky was like, well, you can call one, but that doesn't mean that there's going to be one. <laughs> and I remember yeah, people no, just being it, like, oh, he's, he's not that radical. Like it, it just people have a warped understanding of the capacity it takes to make these sort of things happen. So how, do, right. how did you eventually go about picking a location and then what are the methods and sort of strategic thinking that goes into such a choice?
1: Yeah, so we went through many different uh, phases. I, I, I feel like everything that we ever do ends up being like, okay, so here's a history of things that, you know, you shouldn't do or things that don't work. Um, uh, so at first, you know, after we did this whole petition thing and started looking at some of that stuff, uh, we were like, okay, so in order, like, if we're going to actually go talk to people and do real tenant organizing, um, where are we going to go? Because, right, you can't just, like, take a city block and go. You have uh, multiple different landlords, uh, homeowners, renters from, like, all different all different places. You don't have one actual, like, uh, uh person in power, like a decision maker that can change for all of them, except for like, I guess someone at a national level or, you know, maybe the state, Um, so sorry, I moved backwards. Um, So we started listing out like the worst landlords in the city. So we were talking to people, uh, we were on local message boards, you know, finding out like who, who has had a bad experience with housing, Um, and talking to other people in the city who have experiences working with the different landlords to kind of give us like, Hey, these like, these have been the worst ones so far. Um, and then we put together a plan to actually go door to door and talk to those people. So we did a training ahead of time to make sure that everybody knew to wear masks to stay back. Um, uh, how we were actually tracking all of that information to see, like, okay, so we've heard that they're bad. What do the tenants who actually live in these places think? Um, one of the, the things that's hard in Michigan City is that, unlike big cities where most of the tenant organizing is taking place, we don't have like high rise uh, apartment buildings. Like, we have apartment complexes, but we mostly have um, single housing like landlords who have houses or split up houses all around the city, west side, east side, south side, um, maybe even spread out over the county counties. So, uh, when we started to look at, you know, we were driving all over the city to go from one house to another of the same landlord and hearing that people had some of the same issues, but when it came to like attempt bringing them together, it was extremely, (laughs) extremely difficult. Um, And so then we started looking at, okay, um, taking another page out of Mac Levy's book when she's looking at unions, like where's the, what's the worst of the worst, the biggest of the big, um, and started looking at some of the bigger apartment complexes that, you know, we had people reaching out to us during the pandemic saying, Hey, uh, this complex is trying to evict people, even during this federal, um, sorry, state eviction moratorium. So we, we did a lot of legwork, um, and research prior to actually like eventually, um, uh, kind of choosing a location to, to focus on. Um, we also tried to do a, um, tenant rights, you know, we called it a potluck, but it was just like having some snacks. Um, when we went door to door, which didn't work out, the people who showed up were people who we already kind of had some relationships with. And, and I think that's a huge piece of doing any of this is is the relationship piece and trust um because right people aren't going to do something that's like risky even if it's something that ultimately is necessary in order for something even worse to happen um they're not going to do something that's risky unless they they trust that it's going to at least have a high potential of being successful and that they trust the people that are also working on it um And I think that's just, again, without having those existing institutions and organizations um, and having things be so diffuse, having, you know, someone might live here, go to church in uh, two cities over and work in Chicago. um, Just because they live somewhere doesn't necessarily mean that they're, that they have these other connections, social, cultural, with the people who live um, under that
0: same landlord. That makes a lot of sense. So How about immediate challenges? Well, actually, let me ask this first. So you reached out throughout the state. Were there any other groups in the state of Indiana that were working on a similar campaign? And how hard was it to find information specific to a state with the kind of political context that we have? Again, deeply red state controlled at all three levels by supermajorities and a, a Republican governor.
1: Yeah, no, there, we, so we did look around and, and reach out to a lot of different, um, people that we already knew of throughout the state, people that we heard that maybe were doing some stuff, but there was no, um, other like actual tenant organizing taking place. You know, we talked to some people who were talking about doing like eviction defense, um, in, in a more general, like rent strike, rent strikey way. Yeah. Um, but there was nothing in Indiana. In fact, we struggled to find other um, tenant organizers in other red states um, or you know, more rural suburban areas. And they're just really, they're, there isn't hardly any, but we did get connected in with the Autonomous Tenant Union Network. Um, and that was extremely helpful. So we, we got connected in. They have, um, for anyone else interested in, in doing this, they have office hours. Um, I guess one of the benefits of the pandemic was that it made it a lot easier to connect in with these other groups around the country, um, who were doing this work and like everybody had to be moving online. So there was suddenly all of these opportunities to connect in with people that just didn't exist before. Um, so that was hugely helpful. Like we didn't need to recreate the wheel. Obviously circumstances here are different than in other places to some extent, but you know, there's all of these like organizing guides, uh, uh, flyers, uh, tracking sheets that other groups have used that that we can borrow from um, instead of being like, well, we're going to do our own little thing here. Right. Um, so that's been hugely helpful, being able to talk talk with them um, to get to get guidance. Um,
0: so, how about the last few months? What are what were some of the I know we can't go into details. This is something that I wanted to mention during this interview. For people who are going to be doing this, there are a certain amount, there's certain information that you don't mind being public. And then there's other information that you should absolutely uh, keep secret because it's strategic to do so. So we're not trying to like give away our whole hand. So we can't get into really nitty gritty details, names, places, stuff like that. But I am interested in your immediate challenges uh, immediate successes, stuff that surprised you along the way over these last few months?
1: Yeah. Um, so we've really been, let's see, it was the end of July that we really started like honing in on one specific location. Um, and I guess maybe speaking a little bit more broadly first of like things that have been difficult and things that have been successful. <laughs> um, we, one of the biggest things that we've run into is sort of the the current expectation that tenants have. Uh, and I wouldn't even say that it's necessarily just tenants, but like people, right? Because tenants are also part of this larger <laughs> group of, of just residents general, generally in the city. Um, most people have never organized in their life. They haven't been a part of, um, most even a mobilization. There's a huge stain at this point on, on the concept of a a workers union. Um, they've been gutted in the state of Indiana. And so, um, even talking about the concept to people, um, has been difficult. People also have expectations, not all people, but a lot of people that I've talked to have had expectations that, um, if the people in power only knew that we were being treated this way, they would like react and they would fix it. Right. Because it's like unethical and just really bad. And so, um, you know, finding out that there's not some, uh, city committee on tenant rights that you could go to and complain about your landlord and that they would come and fix it. Um, there's been, it's been a definite sort of like having long conversations with, with tenants about, uh, what what the reality is of the of the situation and that there isn't just like phone you can't just make phone calls and have this stuff get fixed um and and kind of the expectations that come along with that so people are used to like direct service right i mean our whole like community is set up on uh i guess at most going to like a protest or something but for the most part it's like direct service and so people were like oh are you with the city um, oh, you're. You can just like you have power. You can just call and make this happen. Um, absolutely zero context of like working collectively um, to to do something. And so I think that's been one of the biggest challenges um, overall. And the only way that you get beyond that is having conversations and like people starting to learn those lessons as they go, where they're like, oh, yeah. Uh, there isn't a number to call or I called corporate and they told me to F off, you know, they don't care. Um,
0: So allowing them to make mistakes, like sort of allowing them to also reach out to city, you know, be like, Hey, go ahead and call city council and see what the response is. That's also part of it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, And I think, you know, at this point, and there were people though. So the power of tenants talking to each other um isn't necessarily something that you can you know be like well this was a measured win like you can't measure the success of it but um tenants talking to each other and being like uh well we should call corporate and then another tenant's like uh, yeah i already called corporate they don't care i called them 16 times you know my neighbor doesn't have um you know they can't use their sink and their toilet backs up and they have sewage in their basement um uh, and being like, oh, I didn't know that that was happening, or finding out, you know, how much people's rents have been raised by. Um, so even just having those conversations with other tenants um, has been huge in terms of like understanding um, what what the situation is and kind of changing their expectations, like raising expectations in some ways, and then lowering in others in terms of being like, there isn't something, there isn't a quick fix. Yeah. Um, this so and yeah learning from mistakes so trying stuff out um and you know seeing seeing what happens i think another challenge is that balance between um like creating tenant ownership of a project and and uh, making those decisions and then also understanding that like if people knew what to do already they would have been doing it at least Presumably, they would have been doing something closer to it than All what's right. going on. Um, and so you also can't just be like, well, what does everyone want to do? Okay, let's do that. Like, right, there is, there is a sense of, like, providing some of those resources and information, success stories from other organizations, um, and kind of helping move things along in, in that way. It's a lot of, like, back and forth, seeing where people are at and figuring out where they're capable of going and then reassessing, and then, you know, continue, continuously doing that, like, forever. <laughs> right.
0: What, is, what does this look like in terms of uh, day-to-day, week-to-week work? So people are listening to this or, or, or viewing this, and they're thinking to themselves, I would like to do something similar. What kind of time, what kind of capacity are we talking about?
1: Yeah, um, I think it depends what, like, what... Capacity you have and what what you're willing to put in. Um, I spend a lot of my time on this. Um, I would say like in um, we we have you know a handful of people in RMC that regularly meet to discuss this, talk about next steps. Um, we have how, some. How people... regularly
0: do do you meet?
1: So we meet weekly. And then on top of that, we might also have other meetings or like, you know, action planning sessions for like the next tenant meeting that we have or um, doing a prep session for getting, you know, five or six people ready to go and flyer um, and how to talk to people or do phone calls to check in with people. So, you know, I've kind of taken the lead. So I probably spend the most time on it, um, but it's a lot of following up with people um you know sometimes like uh, a couple of weeks ago a tenant called at like 11 p.m and they were like hey this thing's going on like what should we do we're thinking about this and like being ready to adapt and shift and like um take things slowly because you have to but also recognize when there are moments to try to like escalate and move things forward um but yeah, a lot, a lot of time—morning, evenings, during the day, the weekends. I don't, you know, I don't know what <laughs> what a weekend is because I work, um, you know, I'm working full time Monday through Friday, and then this is my other time uh, project, right. along with trying to start a DSA chapter.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, you're not that busy, and you don't have that much going on. <laughs> I wanted to, no, give, I wanted to give people bored. a sense of how much how much time and effort actually goes into these things. So. Moving forward, we're obviously in some tough and challenging times. We've got a brutal winter ahead of us. COVID is the worst that it's ever been at this moment right now. Indiana, I think, has the third most uh, hospitalizations in the country per capita. So everybody knows it's rough. Winter where we live is particularly brutal. You know, usually we're supposed to get a mild winter this year, which is going to help us out a little bit. But You know, basically the next few months are shot in terms of in-person activity. So what does that look like? What does this campaign look like over the next few months? You know, what are you thinking about in terms of keeping people engaged, uh, keeping the ball rolling, but then also, you know, what are you thinking about after the weather breaks? You know, what would you like to start sort of moving into when you're able to meet with people and gather them face-to-face, albeit, you know, socially distanced?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think, I mean, in short, doing what you can with what you've got and with like this situation and environment that you're in, um, you know, I've been talking with other organizers around the country about like, what are they doing with winter? And basically nobody has any huge, like, this is the thing to do. Um, and so I think it's like utilizing nice days when you have them. So, uh, you know we had a little like tenant outside get together like meet and greet type of a hangout thing um on one of the the nicer days recently um phone calls like you can make phone calls you can go door to door you can be safe about it and you can collect information so that you can call those people um you can um meet on zoom like it's not ideal but i think not doing anything over the winter months is just an excuse to not do anything. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, if you're looking at just getting started, um, I think the other thing is that there's a lot of like work that goes into it before you actually start. So like you can watch trainings on doing one-on-one conversations and like how to track information and people so that you're not, you know, just going into it. I mean, you're going to learn along the way, but you can also do some stuff ahead of time for the work that we're doing, um, you know, I think even in the past four months we've already seen, like, there's been some successes. So, I mean, I would say tenants talking to each other is a success. Now, that's not a measurable success or winning anything, but it's a necessary step to actually getting anything, um, accomplished. And, you know, just the fact that tenants have been talking has created, like has pushed management to actually start making some changes. Um, And I think that's huge, like for people to start seeing like, oh, they only did this once we started talking to each other, like they're outside now going door to door to talk to people to find out what their concerns are, you know, and, um, when things do pop up, like if a crisis emerges with a tenant who has, you know, whatever, let's say a a sewage, like a huge sewage disaster in their basement that management is just like not fixing. Um, Instead of it being just an individual issue, now there's actually the beginning of a structure there that can collectively respond and management is aware of that. And so, you know, I, I think it's being very creative and understanding too that like, yeah, it, it might be more difficult in the next few months than it would be under normal circumstances. But hey, if if we aren't doing anything, nothing is gonna happen definitely. And it's only going to get worse. Um, so I think do, do what you can talk to other people. You know, we're, I talk to people regularly from like around the country and then trying to get more things happening in Indiana so that we also have more connections with that. Um, but that's the only way I think.
0: That was going to be my next question. I'm going to flip my second to last and last question. I was going to ask you what, yeah, what have, what's, You've been speaking with other people in the region, and in, in the state. I mean, so it's not just that you're doing this work here or that you have a full-time job or that you have two wonderful cats to take care of or that you're starting a DSA chapter or that you love to bake and cook and that you have a family and friends that you actually want to know. But you're also trying to help uh, sister cities and other people we know throughout the region, people we know in the state, who are also thinking that they would like to start, uh, you know, working on campaigns similar to this. What, what have those experiences been like?
1: Yeah, I think it's like still super early in that process. Um, but you know, it's it's kind of what we're looking at with creating this DSA chapter um, to be so that we actually have a sort of, I don't know if you call like an umbrella uh, organization to do some of that, uh, like organizer training, sharing best practices, and actually like helping each other along um so and helping like create that understanding that it involves actually um, having real conversations with real people which includes everybody not just the people that like agree with you already um and yeah, that I mean, just like doing tenant organizing, it takes time to also work with other people and organizations <laughs> that you want to do the same stuff that you're doing. Um, and so, you know, we've just started along those lines, trying to, yeah, have those conversations. And, you know, we are starting to meet weekly with them as well. Um, and so we're hoping to obviously build that and expand so that we have more capacity um, to do those, you know, trainings, um, and, and, you know, sharing best practices uh instead of just you know going out there and being like well we're organizing this complex and after a week of not having good response we are quitting you know like everybody needs that support and also dose of reality of like yeah well here's what to expect like people who have done this for years say expect it to take you know a year to have a full like a functioning tenant union right not a week
0: Right. (laughs) right um excellent point super super important point my last question would be, ideally, what would you like to have, say, within six months? Where would you like to see the campaign, say, in a year?
1: Yeah, so in six months, you know, I would like to see at least, um, well, between six months and a year, having a functioning, I guess you would call it a local, um, at the, the current location um, where we have a campaign um having won some of their demands and actually having a lasting organization Um, and you know also during that time uh starting to expand from there connecting these different tenants to each other that have different landlords because our population is very transient um, not only across cities and states but even within michigan city it's like you know they'll live here a year they'll move over here some people even come back um, to the complex that they moved that up before um, but connecting those things so to you know eventually have like a citywide tenant council or, or something along the lines of that um, in michigan city there's a landlord association uh, they can get you know roll out 60 landlords deep to a city council meeting to shut down basic tenant protections there's not even an inkling of that comparable for tenants while tenants make up you know half of the population so, uh, moving—you know—that takes longer than a year. But moving in that direction, and you know, I—I I think a goal past that would be having like the entire Michigan City rental market uh, organized and negotiating as a geographic market together. Um, I think next steps after this complex, at some point, uh, moving through sort of the this strategic belt of larger complexes. Um, in the city, and um, working to get some of these things happening around at least the region, hopefully the state, um, so that we have, you know, yeah, more of that capacity to coordinate, train, and deploy uh, this activist player in the in the region to actually organize, not just like stand on a corner, um, hoping that people will join your your effort.
0: And if you have an action coming up where you're going to stand on the corner, it's going to be much more powerful if you could pull from a citywide network of renters unions. So, I mean, this gets back to everything we mentioned. Also, with George Floyd, we didn't talk about it during this conversation, but I talked about it with your significant other on a previous interview, and that is the the electoral ramifications as well. So, I mean, it's not just that you're not saying to these uh, renters, "Hey." just do this, and it's like, you know, life will be good. It's like, no, getting organized around mutually shared interests, around a certain idea of collective participation and what that means to make change, hoping and with the intention that that could translate to electoral victories, that that could translate to other victories, that it doesn't just stop with housing, in other words.
1: No, no, and I think Jonathan Matthew Smucker put it really well that, like, we should be doing this work with the intention of conspiring to take the helm, right? Uh, and that doesn't just happen by giving your hot takes, um, online. Um, and, you know, I was just going to say too, back to what time I'm spending on this. I think uh, we need more people doing this work and it's not necessarily exciting. Sometimes it is, but it is, um, demanding. It is difficult. It requires like dedication adapting to situations and, um, taking it seriously. And I think that that is something that if, if people are serious on the left and want to actually start changing these material conditions, um, and shifting any type of, you know, political structures, they, they have to do hard, difficult work, which is not always fun. Um, and yeah, that's, I don't know
0: that's live. hey that's, that's life, life. I wanna, that's the song I want to play as we end this maybe we could do a five second clip I think that's legal yeah we can actually we can take five, five seconds, seconds. Okay. yeah that's
1: well and that's perfect I love uh I love Frank Sinatra so
0: Sarah thank you so much for uh your time uh and yeah I'm of course happy to know you proud to know you proud to work with you so thank you for your time today
1: yeah, thank you, and we'll be back in the future and hopefully can bring some tenants on yes. as well.
0: Yes, and maybe in person, even better. All right, yeah. you've been watching Park Media. I'm your host today, Vince Emanuele, and we'll see you soon. Hey, thank you for watching and listening. If you think this program is worth a pack of cigarettes or a cheeseburger, you could become a Patreon for as little as $3 a month. The link is available at our website, parkmedia.org. That's parc Media. .org. Make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel below. Also, you could find us on Instagram at Park Media, Facebook at Politics Art Roots Culture, and you could find me on Twitter at Vince Emanuele.